Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, episode number 15. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. And today our special guest is Mr. Adam Taub. If you're in the Kizomo world, you probably have not heard of Adam Taub. But if you're in the salsa or particularly bachata world, um, there's very much more likely that you've heard of Adam Taub. He is a bachata instructor. But what's really unique about Adam Taub is that he's actually done a lot of research and a documentary into the history and the culture in the Dominican Republic and of Bachata specifically, just to kind of shed some light on that. And I believe he's done several presentations around the world sharing what he's uncovered with his research and and things of that nature. So I brought him on the podcast today because I've as I've started to study more about the history of Kizomba and just like dancing in general, you start to see some similarities in the culture and, and what we're dancing today. So Mr. Adam Tall will be offering us his piece of the puzzle just to kind of understand this whole partner dancing thing in the salsa bachata and also Kizomba world that we're dancing now and, and kind of shed some light more so on those similarities that we have between these dances. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Charles. Thanks for having me on. Yes, appreciate it. I definitely appreciate you taking some time out of your day to come sit down and talk with us and share your story, your piece of the puzzle, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I I want to say, just to start off, too, that within the last year uh, traveling uh, for Bachata, that I've also had a lot of interesting conversations with uh, Kizomba instructors mm-hmm. uh, like Lucia and mm-hmm. Uh, Sonia and Elisa in Belgium, different people. And just so I really enjoyed hearing about the history mm-hmm. a little bit. And uh, I, I'm not certainly not an expert on it, but I'll, but I've been fascinated by it. So. Yeah. So I mean, even though like we can't claim the the title of an expert, just like like you said, the fascination, the passion behind it, and like being able to share that story with our audience will be will be will be awesome. You know. Definitely. So uh, let's go ahead and give the people a little bit of a background story of how you even got started into bachata. Yeah, I mean, so really, you know, I studied abroad in the Dominican Republic for a year when I was in the university and I was a cultural anthropology and visual arts major. And so I was, you know, seeking to do documentary film work uh, while I was in the university. Uh, And when I graduated, um, I went back to the Dominican Republic with the hope of doing a, a documentary on a bachata musician who I didn't know yet, but was going to go look and find one, mm-hmm. someone that, that, uh, was, I was hoping was unknown, but really talented. <laughs> so 
make it all long story short, but I, I found, uh, put in touch with, uh, Joanne Soriano and did a film on him, uh, basically kind of lived with him on and off and followed his career in 2007, 2008, finished the film in 2009 around that time. And, um, that was really, it was riding around with him and living with him that really gave me kind of that, the just in-depth time in the bachata, not only music world, but dance world. And, you know, that I've sort of continued since then, uh, showing the film and started to teach the dance as well and do a lot of film work related to the dance and music. I continue to do a lot of film work or video work and interviews in the Dominican Republic as well. So, um, that was, that's kind of the intro to it. Um, just I keep having more questions and, and I'm still curious. <laughs> it's like so the, I just keep keep going. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the more questions you find the answers for, you just like tag along an extra three questions to that, you know, to kind of keep the oh, yeah. the search going. So your introduction to bachata wasn't really more so the dance; it was the culture aspect of it, and just looking for a documentary that you would have to end up doing for your studies. Yeah, I mean, I I social danced even before. I, I danced salsa and a little bachata and merengue before I even studied abroad in the Dominican Republic. Uh, okay, so I, I got you. That was one. That was one of the reasons I actually chose the Dominican Republic because I I, lo- I already loved the music and dance, and I've been introduced to bachata in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, coaching youth soccer, and a lot of the Latino kids, kids from El Salvador, were mm-hmm. listening to bachata. And this was kind of the late '90s, and that was my intro. And I, so that's one of the reasons why I did cho- choose the Dominican Republic. But I would say my, the crash course really happened doing the documentary on, with Joan and living with him and following him around. Yes, that's so. awesome. I'll be sure that we put a link of that documentary. I'm not sure if you have it for sale or something like that, but we'll be, be sure to get that link from you so we can put it in the show notes of this podcast oh, yeah, so definitely. people can, can check that out for sure. So before um, we move forward, I wanted to kind of pick your brain. So in some of the research that I've been doing, you hear this term ethnomusicologist. I think that's the right term for it. Um, Yeah, yeah. And how these people kind of study the culture behind the music and dance. Is that a little bit what you were studying or is the cultural anthropology something different? It's similar, yeah, because ethnomusicology is is really, usually it's oftentimes in the, could be in the anthropology department. It's certainly a, a you know, part of anthropology mm-hmm. um, and also part of music as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't studying at, at the time. Cultural anthropology was a little bit of a broader term, and I was mm-hmm. trying to I was trying to study more like visual anthropology related to documentary film uh, and how okay. you film film culture. But I, I have always loved music, and so I I. Uh, when I did decide to do that, it, it certainly, these last few years, I really have been focusing a lot on, on music. Awesome. Um, Awesome. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So yeah, like the studying of that musical and even using the word anthropology, I think the only other time I heard the word anthropology is like in history class, but you just like studying like ancient, ancient things. But like, if you think about, I'm not sure the time frame of it, and we'll talk a little bit about more 
about the names and like the time frames of these things, you know, because partner dancing goes back centuries, you know, and just right. being able to time stamp these things to come into what we have today. Right. All right. So you're in the Dominican Republic. You're living with Joan Soriano and you said that you danced a little bit of bachata. So obviously something happened to where you were like, okay, you feel super inspired to like delve even deeper into this. And obviously you put in a lot of work, you put in a lot of time. I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure if you did the editing of the video on your own, but all that stuff is very time consuming. So right. where did the passion and the inspiration come from to dedicate that time and to continue to search more and more that was it a particular instance that happened? Was it something that happened? Um, tell us about that. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. Yeah, I did do all the editing and do, still do all the editing. So I do the film and the film work and the editing. So it does take a lot of time. That's awesome. And the, you know, the passion for dance was still there, was there even when I was doing the film. Although I oftentimes say that I tell people, you know, when I'm down in the DR, there's so many trips because I'm filming so much and mm -hmm. watching, observing I may dance one song in a month-long trip, and oh, that's, wow. not a, some, that's not even an exaggeration on some of the trips. Um, but I still always felt like I came back more inspired, um, you know, in a sense, you could, in quotes, better dancer, mm -hmm. too, just because, because observing people and watching people that are inspired, you know, watching the culture, watching people just expressing themselves in their lives through mm -hmm. music and dance. It's uh, like picking up a little bit through osmosis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely felt because, you know, you watch it long enough, you certainly want to get up <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and look forward to that time when you could, you know, set the camera down and dance. But so at that same time, um, besides Joanne, I was also spent a lot of time with uh, his parents, Juana, his mom, and mm -hmm. Kande. His dad, Kande's passed away a couple of years ago, but, mm -hmm. you know, his dad was just, just loved music, you know, more than almost anybody I've ever met, mm -hmm. loved to dance. Anytime Merengue Bachata came on, he was up dancing. And so, you know, I would say he was, as far as the Bachata dance, he's really my, my biggest influence and mm -hmm. my kind of biggest hero. Mm -hmm. And I actually did a, a documentary on them as well, which I'm, currently trying to release so i spend a lot of time with his okay his awesome. parents yeah yep so that that was that was certainly part of the inspiration was his dad and his family and these shows you know just watching what when you go to a music show you know you're mm -hmm. around dancers as well mm -hmm. you know so no it's, it's awesome because i was i recently posted something on facebook about just how inspiration Regardless, I mean, inspiration is, is not something that's limited to just music and dance. It can be through um, art. It can be through sports. It can be through writing. It can be through a lot of things, inventing something new. And it, it's almost like it's a candle. I, I made the similarity or the comparison of a candle. It's like one candle can light a thousand other candles without diminishing the flame of its own, you know? So it's kind of right. like you went there and you kind of had your candle lit by somebody else's quote unquote inspiration or candle, you know, and now yeah, right. that's allowing you to give you the fire to put in that time and effort to kind of continue to research more. So that's that's awesome that yeah. he inspired you to do that. Yeah. And there's a 
you know, you have it also, you, you start to gain a sense of responsibility too of, mm. of when you see, when you see a dance inter- internationalized and uh, spread around the world, you also feel a sense of responsibility to share the stories of those that have nurtured it, those who have created it, who have lived it, mm-hmm. um, who may not have an international voice. And so certainly there's been times where it, it's out of that sense of responsibility of kind of telling or sharing people's stories that I've continued on or, or thought, man, well, I need to answer this question or exactly. need to share this. So, yeah, but it's it's been a definitely an honor and a, really enriching experience so yeah i like that word the responsibility that reminds me of the i'm not sure if you've seen the spider-man movie but there's this one quote that says with great power comes great responsibility (laughs) and that power can definitely be knowledge you know and so when you do have that knowledge then it's almost you have the responsibility to to share that you know yeah yeah you do yeah because not everybody you know a lot of in dance world especially social dance a Mm -hmm. lot of the people that have supported it and created it are not necessarily performers or teachers or, or making a living off of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important to hear, I think from kind of not just the dancers, but kind of the quote, voice, you know, voiceless musicians and dancers that, mm-hmm. that, um, don't always get the publicity. So that's certainly one of my, I would think my drives. Yeah, that's try to find those stories. That's so. awesome. All right, Adam. So let's go ahead and roll up our sleeves a little bit, and let's see Uh-oh. what we can. <laughs> uh, let's see what we can kind of uncover with what you can share for as far as like your pieces of the puzzle. You know, uh, I know you right. said at the beginning you weren't an expert, but. Um, you do have some insights that I'm pretty sure that'd be awesome to put out there with our audience and the people in dance world so they can start to see these similarities that kind of unite us a little bit, you know? Um, you mentioned yeah. merengue dancing before, and we've heard that um, bachata comes from merengue. So my question was you, was like, um, what insights do you have as far as that story of how merengue became bachata? Was it mixed with another rhythm, like merengue plus something equals bachata? Give us some insight into yeah. that because I'm pretty sure a lot of people heard about it, but they haven't really sat down, like talked about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the genre of bachata has, in a sense, it has only been around since the early 60s. Mm-hmm. And even at that time, it wasn't even called bachata. So the word bachata was sort of put on the music and dance more toward the 70s and then into the 80s. And mm. So yeah, it's more of a matter of a, you know, a genre, a genre coalescing into something, becoming its own. There wasn't necessarily one moment in time when, when in, in my opinion, when it was born, where it, it wasn't and then it was, it did, of course, have these influences in it. Mm-hmm. And so some of the major, the major music, um, and dance forms that were in the Dominican Republic before bachata were uh, merengue, of course, mm-hmm. bolero, mm-hmm. which is a you know a Latin American guitar tradition, um, son, which mm-hmm. is also very famous in Cuba and one of the precursors to salsa and uh-huh. some of the other music. And there's a link between um, Cuba and Angola as well, so it's exactly. interesting. Exactly, uh-huh. that song is a big. <laughs> That's a big link, probably, between Kizumba and Bachata, mm-hmm. actually. It would be song. 
And um, then you also have different Afro-Dominican spiritual musics and dance or non-secular like uh, Palos, they call Palos, and there's a variety of others as well that of course existed and still exist. Mm -hmm. And those would be, and then you also had Guaracha and kind of like a a little bit faster paced song, almost more into the salsa, what we would consider salsa, you had that as well. So those were some of the major you know, music and dance genres that that influenced bachata. Mm-hmm. Probably the 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 closest one probably was really in a sense bolero, because early bachata in the sixties was actually referred to as bolero. So the mm, okay. the early the early Dominican guitarists, many of whom are still performing today at that time they were referring to their music as bolero oftentimes or or musica de guitarra guitar guitar music mm-hmm. um and so it was really out of that that bachata developed but it has you know very strong influence from in the dance and the music from song from merengue and from some of the african uh, afro-dominican spiritual music and as well. So. It's, it's really interesting to hear Afro-Dominican because I recently got a chance to go to the Music Instrument Museum that's in Phoenix, Arizona and looking at the the the, the history of a lot of these cultures, you see Afro was like a prefix to a lot of things. Afro-Brazilian, Afro-Cuban, right. Afro-Dominican and it's like I guess this comes from the whole um, slave train and getting all these different Africans in these different areas and how that just immediately started fusing with whatever was there already, you know, and that became a culture. And I'm pretty sure we're going to have some time to talk about your definition of culture, because culture is such an intertwined web of a lot of things, you know that some things are under our control and some things aren't really under our control at time. And that all affects us, you know? Yeah. The question that's kind of jumping out to the top of me in my head right now is the, the previous dances that you said before, Bolero, Son, Merengue, were these known as partner dances or were these, or some of these solo dancing to where it's not really danced with a male and a female and it's just kind of done in a group? versus an actual male and female partner dance? Yeah. Um, so, uh, merengue generally is, you know, is a partner dance. Mm-hmm. Although, if you go back and still watch some of the performances, there are times when when, uh, when the partners may not be, you know, physically connected. Mm-hmm. You know, they may mm-hmm. be dancing and they're not necessarily physically connected. Um, but generally, socially now, you, you do maintain that connection mm-hmm, um, once definitely. in a while, releasing it. Um, the same with uh, Bolero and Son definitely has that, that especially traditionally, and even Bachata traditionally, mm-hmm. is dance, you, you would be dancing in closed position. Mm-hmm. Um, now you'll see, of course, Bachata danced in open position with your touching two hands. You're yeah, dancing sure. in a more open position, but mm-hmm. traditionally it was danced in a closed position and maintaining that contact. And so the, but as far as uh, Palos, which is that more spiritual dance. Mm-hmm. Is that, that P-A-L-O-S? Yeah, P-A-L-O-S. Okay, awesome. I'm taking notes. 
Yeah. <laughs> that is not danced in partners mm. for the most part, you know. Um, I'm sure it could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not, it's not danced in a in a sort of ballroom type embrace mm-hmm. or anything like that. And even sometimes in the ceremonies, you know, uh, participants they'll say montado or overcome might be the English translation. But mm-hmm. they're sort of overcome and almost kind of out of body mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and they'll they'll dance. Um, so there's certain ceremonies that will happen. You know, whether it's a celebration or at a, a morning or mm-hmm. a mass or some sort. So, um, but that type of dance, yeah, there's certainly a big tradition in those. That's not really a partner dance as we would think about it, you know, gotcha. in the, the social dance world. So, well, I do want to say just something related to the term Afro-Dominican. You know, certain musicians in the Dominican Republic, although they their music might have or does have, you know, African influence of various degrees. Mm-hmm. Some musicians or some some dancers may accept that term, I, may accept the term Af- Afro, or in a sense, even accept the term the the African roots of some of the some of the uh, cultural aspects, while mm-hmm. others don't. And I'm not going to get into the the whole thing because that's a long conversation <laughs> on its own. But but within the Dominican Republic at least having an idea of the acceptance and the rejection of a certain amount of African culture hmm. to varying degrees within the society is pretty, it's kind of important when you're, when you're starting to look at, you know, the dance and the music and anything else you might, you might be looking at there. But I just wanted to bring that up because it's, it's a term that, that I'm using now mm-hmm. for this interview, but, you, you know, within the Dominican Republic, there might be varying degrees of acceptance of that term. That is really interesting acceptance. to hear you say that <laughs> so. because I just watched a, a documentary on tango. And uh, I mean, just like you yeah. said, Afro-Dominican, there's Afro-Argentine as well. <laughs> right. And there is a, a varying level of acceptance into the people there of like how much of the African roots is accepted in the society, depending on different people, you know. And right. there are people who were born in Argentina who feel like they've kind of been forgotten because it feels like society is trying to like sweep that part of the history under the rug, you know? Yeah. Because there's definitely some African influence in tango when you go back far enough. But of course, if you just typed in uh, tango on Google right now, you're not going to see an African couple or anything like that dancing tango, no. you know? And that just brings up all kinds of different questions in my head. Um, right. <laughs> because definitely there was a lot of like the African diaspora to have they were spread out to, to a lot of different places during the slave trade, you know, and they brought with them this richness of culture that brought forth a lot of these partner dances that we have today. But it's not really common common knowledge, you know, like we could say, oh, yeah, there's African roots. But then to really study that, I mean, like that's like the tip of the iceberg i'm pretty sure there's so much history that can go behind that oh yeah right and And there's of course so many you know depending on which part of africa you know the people were coming exactly you know islands or Mm -hmm. or which countries and what's to say that Um, there weren't multiple influences of africans you know like let's say we had maybe three different two different places of african countries landed in one spot 
you know exactly it's it's really <laughs> hard you know yeah you you can see how so many questions you know develop it, it's there's there's never really an end to mm-hmm. no it's really interesting out. and then another point that they kind of made out to me like when you were talking about the ceremonial spiritual dances you know that reminded me of like the orishas from the cubans and they have right. it seems like sometimes like the further back that you go back in time with these music and dances dances wasn't really like a social fun thing it was more of a ceremonial thing that was used to celebrate particular i guess milestones in life you know but it wasn't really oh right. i'm bored on a friday let's go out dancing it was really something more behind that you know right Definitely. So that's always yeah, interesting as well. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. And I like that word milestones because trying to going for healing, try you know someone sick or whether it's uh, someone passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, these different different milestones in which music and dance comes in. So. That's awesome. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's, it's 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 interesting, you know, because now social dancing is more of a of a hobby. You know, it's not really right. like a ceremonial kind of thing. You know. But the yeah. further you go back, it's definitely more ceremonial, you know? And it's not limited to just, like, even the Afro-Latin dances. Even if you take a look at Indian dances or, or Asian dances, like, that, they definitely have ceremonial dancing, you know? Yeah. Very interesting. And I would say, like, even the, you know, and I always try to, during my presentations, kind of let people know about the significance dance and music has to a particular uh, country or culture, mm. you know, beyond just a hobby or beyond just a nighttime fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember I interviewed Ramon Cordero, who's one of the great uh, voices of bachata who started in the the sixties. And, mm-hmm. you know, he told me he thinks that bachata has done a lot for the people that, and he said, imagine you're working in, you know, the hot Caribbean sun all day, dust in your nostrils, underneath your fingernails. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine what music does to someone like that to come home um, at the end of the day and and have that little bit of relief, that bit of joy. So um, whether you're talking about joyful music or nostalgic or sad music, mm-hmm. music is also a way to, um, in a sense, to get by or to to express and to deal with your, your situation. Mm -hmm, Um, Definitely. So it is, it is more than just, uh, even social, you know, socially, it's more than a, more than just a, a fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I can see that for sure. I could definitely see that. It's, it's, it's like going through life, you know, and that those songs almost are, are mementos to particular life experiences, you know? Right. Definitely. So we'll, we're going to touch on that a little bit towards the end of the podcast on how to kind of like that global culture aspect, you know, and that nostalgic building. Definitely. So what I, I like to do now is shift our historical focus to Haiti. Um, I learned okay. about Haiti and, and Compa, and I'm pretty sure you've heard about that as well through the Kizomba world, you know. And right. then you take a look at the map and you see that Haiti is right smack dab between or next to the Dominican Republic. So you seem to have these two unique um, kind of worlds very close to each other on a very small island, you know, but still two very right. distinct cultures, you know. On the Dominican Republic, you have like merengue, you have bachata, you have Spanish, you know, and you go right. on the other side of the island and you have more of a French influence and you have compa and and things like that. So 
I guess feel free to share anything that you know between the two. Um, I'm pretty sure there has to be some history between the wars and the colonizing and how that ended up to be the way it is that it is now. But I'll go ahead and let you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's definitely a big topic and something that I've been interested in since I've been going to the Dominican Republic as mm-hmm. far as the Dominican-Haitian uh, relations and relationship and also also uh, when I started studying more of the music and dance, you know, what is uh, specifically, what you know, what is some of the Haitian influence mm-hmm. on bachata specifically and and merengue but uh yes they shared the same island the island of hispaniola mm-hmm. and population wise they're about the same haiti has about one third of the island and dominican republic's about two-thirds mm-hmm. land land mass and so yeah there's there's some striking differences for instance the language french and creole in haiti mm-hmm. and then uh spanish in the dominican republic and and a lot of differences but but certainly there are a lot, there's a lot of shared culture, mm-hmm. um, and shared influence. Um, and a lot of times that, a lot of times that's not acknowledged, um, by either side <laughs> right? because, and, and I'm not going to get into the whole history, but there has been a number of conflicts, uh, between the countries. Yeah. In the I've past. seen some so of I, that I would, as well, for sure. Maybe we could put some good links uh, for people to kind of look up some of the, the, their the history, but definitely, you know, there's at times been kind of a a, a con- of course a, a conflict between between the cultures and mm-hmm. the, the people. But as far as what I can sort of share specific to mm-hmm. the music in the Dominican Republic is, I've certainly interviewed and been around uh, a lot of Haitians living in the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. I've interviewed quite a number of Haitian bachata musicians. Um, That's also, something I never yeah, heard of before. Yeah, Haitian yeah. bachata musicians. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I just released a interview segment by a musician named Felix Cumbe. Mm-hmm. Felix Cumbe, who's probably the most famous bachata musician of Haitian descent, mm-hmm. and he lives in the Dominican Republic and has been there a long time now, and considers himself, in a sense, both Haitian and Dominican, mm-hmm. and He's had hits. First, he's had hits in merengue. Mm-hmm. He's also had hits in compa because he returned to Haiti for a while and had mm-hmm. some big hits in compa. And then later, which he is now, he considers considers himself a bachatero and he has mm-hmm. hits in in bachata. But, How interesting you know, is that? <laughs> yeah. So he's he's the most well known. But you know, there's been a number of musicians, very well known musicians over the years. Some of them were of Haitian descent mm-hmm. and some of them uh, were not necessarily publicly in a sense didn't necessarily announce that that they were of Haitian descent but mm-hmm. they were and um, and so yeah it's, it's been a really interesting interesting sort of and I'm, I'm currently that's something I'm looking at so there's mm-hmm. a, definitely a lot more more to look at but no for sure and as, when you look at the dance as well, there, I can't say every specific because I'm, I'm also not an expert on compa. Exactly. Although I, uh-huh. I have filmed some compa uh, Haitians in the Dominican uh, dancing compa, so mm-hmm. I know something about it. But 
you know, what are some of those influences and those overlaps? Mm-hmm. Um, pretty convinced there are some. I just can't say, you know, for certain exactly where it's coming from. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I mean, that's, I mean, sometimes now, now, I mean, we talk about cultural fusion, you know, and it's like you say, oh, I'm not an expert. But at the same time, like with your eyes, I mean, you have a general sense of, yeah. okay, well, this kind of looks similar, you know. But now imagine, yeah. let's say, a 15-year-old, you know, who is watching a couple dance compa and then he sees another couple dance bachata and he's like, well, he's just exposed to those similarities, you know, and he may or may not put two and two together, you know. But if he does... Right. I mean, he's not going to go and check the history or anything like that. He's just going to maybe do a step or a style or something like that that has maybe a compa influence or vice versa, maybe oh, yeah. a little bit of a track into that, you know? And it doesn't become Definitely. an official, okay, I'm creating something new, but it's just, okay, I'm just going to express myself in, in this way. I'll, I'm definitely yeah. interested to hear more about that that artist. We'll, we'll put some links into that. Uh, yeah, the Haitian, put, Dominican. Put links, yeah. Because he's, He's amazing, and you know, and even related to the dance, I was with uh, Joanne a couple, couple weeks ago uh, during a visit, and we were, I was doing some filming, some dancers, and mm-hmm. one of the dancers we we were filming was a Haitian man living in the Dominican Republic, an amazing dancer, and 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 I was like, man, that, you know, I was talking to Joanne after a little bit about the style, and mm-hmm. uh, Joanne said something. He, he said, I, you know, that he saw kind of a compa influence in his style. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, interesting. Like, you know, and, you know, it, it was just interesting to to hear that. Joan's not, he's obviously an expert in bachata. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Way more so than than I am, but he doesn't necessarily always focus, focus on the dance. He's been around the dance, but he doesn't, you know, analyze it yeah, in the same sure. way. But it was just really interesting to hear that. So um, certainly, you know, it's probably important for like the listeners to be aware just a little that bachata was a very marginalized music and dance in the Dominican Republic. It still is to some degree. A lot of the marginalization and discrimination is gone now there. Um, it's more accepted among the media, the upper class, among mm-hmm. all classes. But you know, traditionally it was viewed as, you know, sort of uh, simple uh, music of the, quote, you know, the lower class, uh, vulgar um, country, uh, unsophisticated, so mm-hmm. it was viewed that way. Tango had the same the same history. Did it? Yeah. When it first started <laughs> yeah, off, it was I like, it was, it's what the, like what you would see, like the, the prostitutes dance. With right. their men and yeah. stuff like that. Uh-huh. And a lot of bachata was, in a sense, relegated to being played in cabarets or mm-hmm. brothels and, and such. That's crazy. It wasn't only that. You know? It wasn't only that, but it, it, of course, it wasn't able to be played on the radio or national, you know, mm-hmm. on TV or things like that. So, you know, where does it go? And um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, it's important to understand that because then you also understand, well, who was you know, who was listening to it, who was supporting it and who was creating the dance um, and where was it mm-hmm. at. And so when you look at places like uh, Bates, mm-hmm. Bate is a, a town in the sense or a place that grew up around sugarcane cutting. 
in the Dominican Republic, oftentimes Haitian and Dominican in nature, but a lot of Haitians, you know, work and work the cane, cane cutting. And those were also places where bachata, you know, thrived. And, and a lot of the bachata musicians uh, played that circuit in a sense. And so the music and the dance was, was also developing there. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was very interesting. And like we said at the beginning of the podcast, like these dances that seem to seem to seem to be separate worlds or do have a lot of similarities, you know, um, tango right. was definitely something that was viewed lower class. It wasn't considered something that was upscale at all, you know, but if you take a look at tango now, it's very upscale. So it's, it's interesting to see how the image has changed over time from when it first started to where it is now, you know? Yeah. Very interesting, interesting. stuff. All right, so um, I appreciate everything that you shared with us so far. This is really interesting things. It's like, and like you said, they're just random pieces of the puzzle that we're kind of like adding to the mix, you know. But it's like, no, but I don't think anybody has all the puzzle pieces, you know. But as we start no. to find out more, I'm pretty sure on one of my podcasts, I'll maybe interview somebody from Haiti, or if you have any recommendations or somebody from Haiti like that gives that knows a lot about compa and the dance, maybe they can share some of their insights, and then we can compare notes with this podcast. And do the same thing with maybe somebody from Cuba and somebody from Cape Verde. I had a a Cape Verdean artist, uh, Quenda Lima, who's a well-known instructor, and he shared his insights into it as well, you know? So I feel like there's a lot of shared similarities. Yes, there's differences, but um, I feel like it's really interesting to kind of see how these concurrent influences were happening in different areas because you keep hearing like this air, this span of like the 60s, 70s, and 80s, had a lot to go or what was going on during that time period, you know? Yeah, though I'd be fascinated to hear hear uh, some of those interviews you mentioned too. And just yes, definitely. I'll get those those pieces. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you in the loop as far as those go. Yeah, and I definitely think some of that Cuban, as far as that, some of that shared influence, but, you know, Cuban song and bolero mm-hmm. and, and also like dance song and things like that would mm-hmm. be as you mentioned, uh, that Cuban influence in Angola. And, um, I don't know, there's, there's definitely something, some trails to follow with Mm -hmm. that. And those were, you know, I think song is very well known, you know, as in its influence in salsa. And we hear a lot about that, Mm -hmm. but it certainly dance and music wise also had a big influence on bachata as well. So, um, it's, it's influenced a lot of different, yeah, for sure. And the Dominican Republic has its had and has its own living song tradition mm-hmm. that goes back well over a hundred years. You know, so the Dominican Republic also has a tradition of of song music. Have you heard of any plena music in the Dominican Republic? Plena from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've well, you know, I really in my travels in the Dominican Republic haven't heard a lot about mm-hmm. it except. I have heard, you know, Plana and like Hibaro music uh, from Puerto Rico. So there's a, there's a eastern part of the Dominican Republic can pick up and could could pick up radio stations from Puerto Rico. And so so you know, different bachata musicians have told me that they believe that it, when we're talking regional styles mm-hmm. of, of music, regional styles of bachata music that that eastern coast of the Dominican Republic that was picking up this Puerto Rican influence, they mm-hmm. feel like you can hear that in the bachata music. So That is so crazy, yeah, you know? I, 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> so in that sense, of course, I've heard, I've heard of it, but mm-hmm. you don't necessarily hear it, hear musicians or people talking about it all yeah, the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting because we talk about influence, you know, and, I, and you said before, and I think you hit it on the nail, varying degrees of influence, you know, and sometimes you have yeah. more of a direct influence and then you have something that's kind of a faint radio signal, right. you know, so you don't yeah, get to right. see people <laughs> dancing or anything like that, but it's just, you just so happen to pick up on the radio station. So that's, that's something yeah. that's something that. I mean, that was kind of accident, you know, you know, like people in Puerto Rico yeah. aren't thinking about people listening to their stations in the Dominican Republic, but they're still kind of close, you know, at the same time, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Dominican and, and, and it's, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and the, you know, these, the track of musicians are largely, you know, ear musicians are self-taught mm-hmm. by ear and the, the really influential, the track musicians. And so, you know, they're, they're copying what they can mm-hmm. from the radio from jukeboxes mm-hmm. and from live musicians that they're listening to. And they of course have very good ears, but it also gives room or gives enough space for certain changes to occur. You know, if you're not reading music or if you're not, exactly, um, if you don't, if you're not even caught playing off recordings always, you know, if you're, you're hearing something and then trying something on your own or hearing mm-hmm. it on a jukebox, hearing it on the radio. Um, so it's really interesting, yeah. And like you said, you're hearing this music you like, but you may not know how it's danced from the place where it originated, uh, being broadcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's always interesting. And I think that is very relevant to you know bachata internationally because people have responded all over the world to bachata music. Mm-hmm. And they may not know how it's, they may not even know it's from the Dominican Republic, and True. they certainly may not know how it's danced there, but mm-hmm. they're responding to the music. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, oftentimes they'll create their own way to express themselves with that music. Exactly. Um, so. No, and it kind of gives a whole new meaning or a whole new perspective to the word culture, you know? And I think this would be a good I guess kind of ending point for the podcast, you know, like we, we just kind of shared knowledge from each other and it's like, it's just like, well, Ooh, look at this. And then look at right. that. And look at this. And it's like, it's, and, and we're just kind of like, I feel like we're not even opening the door to like these right. uh, similarities. We're kind of like looking at the door of these similarities, you know, and I'm pretty sure there's so much history um, behind those, you know? Um, but like you said, the artists were very much so by ear, you know? And I, the right. same thing can be said for the dance. Across tango, yep. across salsa, it's like they didn't go to the, a dance studio to learn how to dance. Right. They watched their parents dance, you know? And now yeah. there's something within them that kind of helps them form their own style. There's something within them that helped them form their own style of playing a guitar or playing an accordion or playing something in their own way. Nobody really taught them how to do it, but it was just something that came from that inspiration from this unknown source you know of of happiness or something that kind of sparked them into that you know right and so exactly taking a look at how you saying before it's like some people might hear bachata music and know nothing about where it came from where it originated but they're touched by it and it gets them to express themselves in a way that's something I mean, let's say you're in Russia and people hear bachata music and they've only done some kind of Russian dance before. And so they find a way to kind of intermingle the two 
and right. that becomes something. So it's it's really interesting to see the global the global exchange of inspiration right. and and music and dance and things like that. And so, with that being said, and knowing what you know and those similarities, how how has your vision or your definition of culture changed over time? Because it's almost like trying to define a moving target, you know, because it's not something that's stagnant and it's something that definitely has a lot of different influences of varying degrees from multiple different things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. It's not, it's not standing still. And so, you know, and you, you want to resist trying to put a culture or anything just like in a museum, lock mm-hmm, it up, put it mm-hmm. in the frame. And at the same time, you want to, of course, seek those who came before and mm-hmm. seek the stories and seek seek the roots, but without, you know, without putting it in a museum. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I uh, you know, I certainly encourage, try to encourage anybody, any students or anybody that's trying to look at different questions and issues to study it, because I, I think there's so many questions I never... Uh, I never really have the feeling like, like, oh, I want to do this and no one else can, should look at it. Or I'm going to keep this no, secret because sure. I think mm-hmm. there's so many, <laughs> there's so many uh, questions and because it's a, a living, uh, breathing sort of thing, the mm-hmm. culture, um, there's never going to be a lack of things to look at. So I definitely try to encourage other people to, you know, follow their passions mm-hmm. and their curiosities. Um, I kind of keep a, try to keep a pretty broad view of of culture mm-hmm. and it's mostly um built on a lot of like the personal stories that i've gathered from you know from music and dancers over the years i mm-hmm. kind of have locked those interviews and those personal stories away and a lot of times you may have two experts for instance you know, two living legends mm-hmm. that basically created a genre that disagree with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They both are, they're both are very valid. They've both been doing it for 50 plus years. <laughs> they both lived it. And yet they have a different view of how this genre was created, when it was created, what it is. And that says a lot. I mean, you can have that. You can have those disagreements. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. So I, I kind of try to lock away all these different points of view and synthesize something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's tough. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not an easy thing to even, you know, if, if someone asks you to define, which people do ask me, or mm-hmm. I've had to in a documentary, you know, define bachata. <laughs> For me, that's not an easy thing yeah. to do because I have all these different, stories i mm-hmm. do ask you all these musicians i interview or dancers i do ask them what do they think is the essence or what it is to them mm-hmm. and you get all these different pieces mm-hmm. kind of like what you're doing with these podcasts you get different pieces and then you you kind of put it together uh-huh. but, and compare them but it's not really a final answer you know it's not just a final answer, it's no. just a knowing you know like you know but you can't right. really define it is you know so now it's like with all this research that I've been doing for Kizomba and just dancing in general, it's like, well, what is Kizomba? And it's like, you just get like all these stories coming into your head. It's like, I even know like where to begin to kind of tell you. <laughs> yeah. I can give you a simple answer, but like there's so much backstory to a lot of it, you know? 
Um, there is, but yeah. Even along those differences, I feel you see inspiration, you see happiness, you see life. You know, you see people that were influenced by maybe the same thing, but just in varying degrees of it. You know, um, uh-huh. let's say like you have this Haitian uh, Dominican artist, you know, of course his influence to Haiti is going to be very much so direct because he's from there, you know, so his degree is going to be high as far as Haitian slash compa influence, you know, but then you might have somebody like an artist who maybe went to maybe two of his concerts and liked something that he did. And maybe he incorporated a little bit of that into his style or dance. And so his influence is still there from Haiti through an artist that comes from there, but the degree of that is lower, you know, but like to right. even be able to measure degrees of influence, it's like hard to like even think of, you know, but I just <laughs> think is it's just really interesting um, to see the similarities of what unites us and, and how it's, it's really, I remember looking at this one image and I'm pretty sure to put it on the podcast. There's different levels of culture. And you have like societal culture and then you have like national culture and then there's also a global culture, you know, and the like I feel now with the Internet and everything like we're able to kind of see what's happening and we're like pretty much very well connected with the Internet now. But before like back in the 60s, that didn't happen, you know, so the influence between different societies and countries and and even like the 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 borders of what we have now wasn't the same a hundred years ago you know right so a lot of these countries with their borders now like we're looking at them now but that's not the way that they always were and going back like even with angola and and was once the same uh entity with congo and that got separated. Right. And I'm pretty sure like with the Dominican Republic and Haiti, that was one entity and then it got separated, you know, but that doesn't separate right. the influence between the two just because you draw a line in between it on the map, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and also it's kind of like, uh, you know, influence doesn't just go one way. It mm-hmm, definitely. It's a two way street. Both ways. And, you know, and so you, you got to look at the Haitian influence in Dominican music. You got to look at the, Dominican influence in Haitian music mm-hmm. and then and it, in relation to like the Caribbean you know we're it's very common to to hear okay yeah there's of course there's African influence in mm-hmm. Caribbean music but then when you when you look at well there's also a Caribbean influence and other influence in African music and mm-hmm. dance um, and so to see how to really look how this shared thing is going back and forth and what degree the degree is important to measure it's 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 not enough just to say there's shared influence if you want to get in depth you do want to look at all the degrees of influence mm-hmm. um, and yeah it's fascinating yeah it is very fascinating all right adam so the next question that i'd like to ask you here is knowing what you know about the history of bachata and seeing where it is now and you being able to travel and kind of share this historical knowledge of bachata, what trends do you see about it moving forward into the future? Yeah, I mean, that's a difficult question. It's hard to predict because, you know, certainly we're seeing bachata, it seems, really really gain in popularity um, as it it's, it's, you know, moving around the globe, internationalizing, and 
uh, being taught and listened to in a lot of different places. So, you know, you're seeing it danced a lot of different ways. You're, you know, you're starting to see a variety of kind of um, almost subgenres of, mm-hmm. of the music yeah. develop. Uh-huh. And so, it, you know, it, it is hard to, <laughs> it's really hard to predict because it, this, this real surge has, hasn't, uh, hasn't been going on at least in the festival world and in the social dance world that long, mm-hmm. um, for bachata. So, you know, I think when kind of looking at the language where it's going, it is important to, for everybody just to keep in mind that the language and their, in the understanding is different depending on, you know, what context it's coming from, mm-hmm. you know? So for instance, in the Dominican Republic, the words modern bachata or traditional bachata or urban bachata or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, have different meaning yeah, and are used differently than they are in the festival dance world. You know, the meaning's completely different and when or how much they're even used is, is completely different. And, and so, you know, when we have this conversation about what's happening internationally or where it's going and the positives and, and challenges with it, you know, it is important to kind of clarify from what point of view we're, we're talking about. Um, cause there are a number of different worlds in bachata music and dance that don't really know, or are just beginning to realize that the other exists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the international world, to some degree, those that are just becoming aware of the music and liking the music, you know, it takes them some time perhaps to trace trace it back where this thing they love comes from or where mm-hmm. it developed. Um, and likewise, many of the musicians and dancers in the Dominican Republic have no idea that it's, uh, that there's the Chata festivals, mm-hmm. you know, and that there's, yeah that there's it's being taught and listened to to such a degree so i think i guess what i think in the coming years we'll probably see maybe a little bit coming together of those mm-hmm. things at least in awareness but you know at the same time there'll probably be a we'll also continue to see a broadening or uh moving apart too uh, yeah as, definitely you know things becoming in a sense, more unique to themselves and maybe less, less related to, to the original form and, and stuff. And, you know, we've seen that already too, too. The same exact thing is happening in Kizomba. You think so? Both like, both kind of the, the moving away and also to, in some communities, the, the realizing that yeah. they exist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. Like, I feel like yeah, Bachata and Kizomba can both be used as an umbrella term. You know, and right. over time, like this umbrella has getting been getting stretched and stretched and stretched to try to encompass all of these different subgenres and styles of music and dance. And now it's getting to a point to where it's so far away from the original that the, the I feel like the umbrella is it can be stretched only so far before before we need to come up with a new name, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting, you know, because like even giving yeah. things names, like you don't even know what to name anything anymore. Like, is it traditional? Is it folkloric? Is it classical? Is it historic? Is it authentic? Like, and like it means different things to pe- different people in different places. So it's like, yeah, 
that's it. It's it's hard it's, because there's no it's there's so no hard. <laughs> yeah there's no committee that gets together and kind of irons out the definition of these things you know, and a right. lot of these dances and things like that have been kind of growing independent of each other. But like you said, like we're realizing the spectrum, how wide this spectrum is now on both sides, you know, like the more quote unquote urban neo people are starting to see uh-huh. more about the original and like the original folks right. are starting to see how far it's going on the other side. And like, right. maybe it's going to come to the point where we do have like a, a committee that's able to like define these things, you know, because if we keep going at this pace and and seeing how vast the expanse of music and dance is like there has to be a better way to like officially name things but at the same time it's going to be hard because there's a lot of influences from a lot of different places you know yeah well i definitely think it's important that we you know that people find ways to like meet or even somehow forms but people you know whether mm-hmm. instructors or promoters to get together in kind of almost private almost like a conference mm-hmm. situation and kind of discuss some of these things and uh you know it's tough because like what i said before as far as the in the social dance a lot of the un unheard voices you know people that aren't making their living on it, but that have contributed greatly to it, aren't going to be part of the committee necessarily. And so the, the tough part is, well, how do you get those opinions and voices into the whole mm-hmm. mix? Um, in an unbiased way. With, in an unbiased way. Yeah. So I think it's important. It, it just, it will be challenging, but, but you know, it's, it's definitely worthwhile for people to kind of be able to get together in a non conflictive yeah you know, and way and talk and, it out mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the main thing like I, w- I wanted to have it's like we have these similarities you know but um we have differences as well you know but it's one thing to just focus on on the differences and like have conflicts you know or you could focus on the similarities and they could be more of a of a peaceful kind of sharing of ideas and things like that you know because i don't think right. anyone is getting into the dance world or anything like that to like harm anybody or to to be disrespectful to anyone or anything like that like at the end of the day people do want to have fun and things like that um but i feel sharing this knowledge is going to get or inspire more of a a peaceful understanding of what's going on and just seeing like hey it's not something that's necessarily my cup of tea but i could see where they're coming from you know right yeah i definitely hope so i mean and there will be disagreements and mm-hmm. that's good as, but as long as it's in a constructive way it's, yeah it's for possible. sure <laughs> yeah it's very interesting like like there's so much i don't know like i feel like it's uncovering knowledge but at the same time it's like the more you know the more you realize you don't know so it's like <laughs> am i getting am i getting more knowledgeable on the topic or am i just realizing how much i don't know about right. the, the topic yeah. you know because you're just yep. seeing how much is out there so yeah um i definitely appreciate you sharing your insights because it's just it kind of feel like it gives more light into like the history behind it and and belonging to that culture and getting into know more about the intricacies of it you know and like we're taking a look at the history but at the same time we are the history of the future you know so it's like putting this information out there i feel it's just going to help other people maybe that's going to be doing some research kind of put some of these things together you know and start to see those similarities that unite us more than than they should be dividing us more so than anything 
yeah, I hope, I hope, definitely hope it, you know, sets some people on some, some paths, some exploration. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, so it's, it's a kind of, it's a really enriching opportunity, you know, if you, if you have that kind of passion for the music and dance or, or even just people, you know, and what they, what they make, what they do. So, yeah. And this, this, this magical thing that is called life that happened and all these things happen maybe before we're even born, you know, but we're able to enjoy kind of like the fruits of what these people did today, you know? Right. All right, Adam, thanks so much for your time. It was awesome to kind of share those similarities. I'll be sure to grab those links for you so we can share them in the notes. Um, yeah. At this time, I just want to give people, um, give you an opportunity to let people know how to find out more about you and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Thank you so much, Charles. It's been a very enjoyable conversation for sure mm -hmm. uh, really enjoyed it um, to find out let's see more about me one there's that doc the documentary film on Joanne it's called The Duke of Bachata you can find that on Amazon I think for a download and we'll have links you can find me on Facebook just under Adam Todd Bachata is just a page where I post videos and research and uh, presentations I'm doing um, also I have a YouTube channel where I post short uh, free videos of like the Felix Kumbe, the Haitian bachata musician. Mm -hmm. And I have Luis Segura, many, many bachata musicians on there. So, and I give history presentations, history bachata culture presentations around the U S and around the world. Uh, so I guess you can just look out for that <laughs> in the next year at different festivals or sometimes at universities and, and things. So, yeah, it just, uh, and again, I want to, want to say I really have enjoyed like the, the conversation in the past year with, uh, Kizomba instructors and mm -hmm. people looking up at that history. That's really fascinated me and kind of intrigued me. So mm -hmm. it's like these things crossed paths before in the past, you know, but now we're able to kind of take a look at it from in retrospect and see the similarities between them, you know? Right. Yeah, it's, it's, I think I'm really interested to, in the next couple of years, kind of what you guys, uh, you know, find out in, in some of this research. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm interviewing more and more people with the podcast, you know, and it's like, I don't know exactly where it's going to be heading or where I'm going to find, but like, there's definitely a common thread between a lot of these, you know, and some right. varying degrees of influence between a lot of these dances that seem to be their own worlds, but at the same time, they're, they still share these similarities between the two. I like salsa, bachata, kizomba, and tango. Right. And even with compa, like there's there's some other ones, you know. But there's definitely right. some similarities between the hold and the frame and, and the music and all that stuff. All right. I hope you guys enjoy this week's podcast. Be sure to check us out again next week. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Yeah.